0: This is Endourology Soundbites, a new podcast series from the publisher of the Journal of Endourology and Video Urology in cooperation with the Endourological Society. This series is brought to you by Richard Wolf, a global leader in endoscopy since 1906. Richard Wolf delivers solutions that are improving patient outcomes and shaping the future of minimally invasive surgery. For more information, please visit richardwolfusa.com. Hello, this is Brian Matlaga, the Associate Director of Education for the Endourological Society, and I'd like to welcome you to the next edition of our Endourology Soundbites podcast series sponsored by Richard Wolf. In this installment, Dr. Oliver Wiseman from the United Kingdom will be discussing how in 2019 we use the holmium laser to affect stone fragmentation during laser lithotripsy procedures. My name is Oliver Wiseman, I'm a consultant urologist at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Trust, and I'd like to talk about the use of Holmium laser for treating stones in 2019. The Holmium laser is a pulse laser with a wavelength of 2100 nanometers, and it's a laser beam that's highly absorbed in water. The Holmium laser for the treatment of kidney stones is normally used in contact mode, which means it's touching, or very close to touching, the stone. Laser energy is absorbed by the stone, which increases its temperature and leads to a chemical breakdown. And this photothermal mechanism and chemical decomposition are the major contributing factors for stone fragmentation. I'd like to talk about the choices that we make when we use the Holmium laser for stones and cover both the fiber size and also the settings that we use for kidney stones. When we're talking about retrograde intrarenal surgery, we really have a choice between a 200 micron or a 365 micron fiber. We have to remember that with a larger fiber, we have an effect on the deflection of our flexible erythroscope in the kidney. The second thing that a larger fiber does is it decreases the flow that we're able to get through the working channel of our scope. And this is another negative effect of having a larger fiber. A further thing to consider when we think about fiber size is whether a larger fiber actually increases the efficiency of stone fragmentation. And Wessel showed in the Journal of endo in 2010 that in fact, a higher fiber diameter is not constantly associated with an increase in stone disintegration. Cronenberg in the BJUI in 2014 also showed that fiber diameter does not increase fragmentation efficiency. And so the take-home message about fiber size really has to be that we should use the smallest fiber possible. We get the same efficiency, we get more flexibility of our flexible ureteroscope. we get increased irrigation, and another benefit also is that we get less retropulsion of the stone. So having looked at laser fibers, the next thing to consider is laser settings. There are three parameters which we need to fix with the homium YAG laser. These are the energy that we have for the pulse, the pulse duration, and finally the frequency. And I'd like to take a few minutes just to talk about the effect that these have on fragmentation, on retropulsion, and also on fiber burn back. So initially, if we consider the energy that we use, the pulse energy settings traditionally have been between maybe 0.5 and 1.5 joules. But increasingly, we can have, with the newer generation lasers, laser energy which can vary from maybe 0.2 joules all the way up to 6 joules. The outcomes of altering the pulse energy on fragmentation have been reported in several studies, and we know that the higher the pulse energy, the greater the decrease in stone mass. Wessel again in the Journal of Under Urology in 2010 showed that increases of pulse energy at a standardised output power of 10 watt improved laser fragmentation efficiency. And Cronenberg showed in the BJUI in 2014 that low frequency high energy is more ablative for any overall power level that the total power does not correlate with fragmentation volume, and that in fact pulse energy is the key variable that drives fragmentation. So that's pulse energy. Another factor that we can alter is the pulse duration, or the pulse width, and this represents a time during which a single pulse is emitted from the laser, and is measured in microseconds. The Older generation lasers had a single fixed pulse, which was approximately 350 microseconds, but the newer generation lasers have the ability to alter the pulse width to a short pulse mode or a longer pulse mode, and this can vary from 200 microseconds all the way up to 1,500 microseconds. A long pulse duration is a setting that we traditionally use for dusting, and a short pulse duration is a setting that we would use when we want to fragment stones. The main difference when we use pulse width is that a longer pulse will actually also result in less retropulsion of the stone. And a further advantage of the longer pulse is its protective effect on laser fibre tip degradation, which is known as fibre burn back. And this can actually result in decreased energy being emitted from the fibre and the loss in the fibre length. So long pulse width is actually beneficial for both retropulsion and also to decrease fiber burn back. The final parameter which we can alter is the frequency, and the frequency is defined as the number of pulses which are emitted from the laser fiber per second. As with pulse energy, the range of pulse frequencies depends really on the power of your laser. The newer generation lasers mean that we can increase the frequency up to maybe 80 hertz, whereas the smaller lasers, maybe 20 or 30 watts, the parameters are a little more limited And we can maybe only get up to 15 hertz but the only thing that the frequency really does is it determines how quickly we fragment the stone it doesn't determine the quality of fragmentation or the quality of the dust that we produce it's really just all about speed with an increased frequency so thinking about the settings that we would use for the laser in contact mode that's where the laser fiber is just touching or just not quite touching the stone for dusting We want to have a long pulse width, maybe around 800 microseconds, with a relatively low energy of maybe 0.3 to 0.5 joules, and a higher frequency, which may be all the way from 15 up to maybe 40 hertz, depending upon the power of your laser. For fragmentation in contact mode, you want a shorter pulse, maybe 200 microseconds, with a higher energy of between 1.5, maybe 2 joules, and also a low frequency of only 5 hertz. Those are the settings we would use in contact mode, but we can also use the Holmium laser fiber in non-contact mode. And this is what we would typically do if we want to popcorn or pop dust the fragments. This is where we have a number of fragments which are essentially trapped in a calyx, and we then use the energy from the laser fiber and irrigation to make those fragments move around, bang into each other, and also hit the tip of the laser fiber, thus making small fragments increasingly smaller. So for popcorning, the settings that we would use in a non-contact mode are a longish pulse width, maybe six to 800 microseconds, with a high energy of 1 to 1.2 joules, and a relatively lower frequency, maybe of 10 to 12 hertz. So those are the settings that we would use when we um, think about how we're going to treat our stone, whether we wish to have a dusting or a fragmentation outcome. We need to be careful though, when we talk about dust because there's no actual definition of dust and different people mean different things when they talk about it. What most people mean is fragments which are small enough to be passed spontaneously. And for many surgeons this means very small fragments, but other surgeons would not call this true dust. And when talking about dusting we really need to agree on what definition of dust is. So what do we do when we think about whether we're going to fragment or dust the stone? We have to have a strategy And the strategy, I would say, is based on how tight our ureter is. If we have a tight ureter, then it may not emit an access sheath, and we may not be able to remove multiple fragments. So dusting would be really our only option. If we've got a large stone, we have to think how many fragments are we going to create, and is it actually feasible to remove all of those fragments down an access sheath? Before we fragment the stone, we need to measure the Hounsfield units. Think about how hard the stone is likely to be, and whether it's likely to fragment easily or dust easily. And then finally, when we start to treat the stone, we need to alter our settings according to how the stone responds to the energy settings or the power settings which we are applying to it. So just thinking about the size of the stone, if we have a completely spherical 10-millimeter stone and we have an 1113 access sheath, which will allow us to extract fragments up to 3.5 millimeters, with a 10-millimeter spherical stone, we'll produce 23 fragments. With a 15-millimeter stone, we'll produce 78 fragments. And with a 2-centimeter by 2-centimeter by 2-centimeter stone, we'll create 186 fragments. And so what we have to really think of is what's the likelihood that we're going to be able to remove all of those fragments, and how long is that going to take? But we talk about dust and fragmentation as if, as if they're completely separate from each other. But of course, if we dust, we also often create some fragments. And if we fragment, inevitably we create some dust as well. I say that dusting has got some advantages over fragmentation and basketing. It eliminates the need for multiple parties of the uretroscope in and out of the ureter, and thus will decrease the need for, a, um, for the placement of an access sheath. And it also is likely to decrease the operative time because of the decreased time required to remove multiple stone fragments. I'd also say there are some situations where fragmentation and basketing is mandatory. If you have a patient who effectively has a single kidney, leaving them with any fragments in that kidney is potentially very dangerous. If you have a dilated collecting system where fragments and dust are less likely to clear, I would suggest that basketing in those patients should be strongly considered. And finally, where patient circumstances dictate such as occupation of the patient, where they may need to be completely stone-free without any residual fragments within the collecting system in order to continue to work. So we've talked a little bit about the strategy. I'd just like to spend a couple of minutes thinking about the technique that we use to fragment the stone. Generally speaking, we should have paralysis with apnea if required, and we need to have good irrigation to allow us to clear the debris and maintain good vision while maintaining an awareness of the risk of high intrarenal pressure. When we're dusting the stone, we want to move across the surface of the stone all the time, trying not to create large craters, else we risk fragmenting the stone into pieces and then having to chase these fragments around. So small continuous movements across the stone are best. And if pieces do break off, which happens sometimes, then we need to remember to look for them afterwards and then fragment them within a calyx, either popcorning them or pop-dusting them as required. Techniques for fragmentation is often we need to re- work with an access sheath, and we need to use higher energies, as I've mentioned, trying to chip off small pieces of stone, usually easiest working from the edge of the stone inwards if we're in the kidney. We need to try and control these stone fragments, and if possible, flush them into an easily accessible calyx, preferably in the upper pole. And this can be helped by having the patient in a head-down position with the operative side elevated somewhat, which may encourage these fragments to go into the upper pole, where they can then be subsequently popcorn or pup-dusted to break them up into smaller fragments. There is not a great deal of evidence of the differential outcomes of patients who undergo basketing or dusting in ureteroscopy. but there was one paper published last year from the EDGE group, which looked at patients to determine which modality produced a higher stone-free rate with fewer complications. The stone sizes vary between five to twenty millimetres in this study, and the Holmium laser was used in all patients, and they were all stented postoperatively as well. Access sheaths were used in one hundred percent of patients who underwent basketing, and access sheaths were optional when patients were dusted. The primary study outcome was stone free rate at six weeks, as determined by X ray and ultrasound. There were a total of eighty four and seventy five patients enrolled in the basketing and dusting arms, respectively and stones in the dusting group were significantly larger, which may skew the outcome of the results. While the stone-free rate was significantly higher in the basketing group on univariate analysis, it wasn't on multivariate analysis, and patients who underwent basketing had a longer operative time compared to those who had a dusting procedure. Finally, there was no statistically significant difference in complication rates, hospital readmissions, or additional procedures between the groups. We clearly need to have more evidence of the differential outcomes of patients who undergo basketing or dusting procedures in order to determine what the best outcome is for the patient. So in summary, there are a number of strategies which we can use to treat kidney stones with a holmium laser. We have increasingly versatile lasers, which allow us to fine-tune our surgical technique, and we need to be aware of the different settings and surgical strategies to maximize outcomes for our patients. Thank you very much for listening.